Well, there was a young man who was appointed as the new president of a bank, and he met with his predecessor to gain some wisdom. And he said, sir, you've been very successful as president of this bank. Would you be kind enough to share some of the insights you've gained from your years here? What, what is it that's been your key to success? And the older man said, young man, I have just two words for you. Good decisions. And the younger man responded, um, well, thank you, sir, but how does one come to know how to make a good decision? And he said, just one word, experience. And this younger president was becoming frustrated, and he said, uh, but how do you get experience? And he said, two words, young man, bad decisions. Has <laughs> anybody here learned uh, from bad decisions? Oh, yeah, I think we all <laughs> It's been said that biting off more than you can chew is a good way to cut your wisdom teeth. So does that mean that we have to go through life making mistakes in order to know how to make good decisions? Well, as we turn in our Bible today to 1 Kings chapter 12, what we're going to see is that there are other better ways to gain wisdom. And one of the keys that we're going to see today is to learn from others. Sam Levinson once said, you must learn from the mistakes of others because you cannot possibly live long enough to make all the mistakes yourself. Another benefit of learning from the mistakes of others is the tuition's a lot cheaper. Have you found that out? When somebody else pays the dumb taxes for us, uh, we don't have to uh, pay the same amount of blood, sweat, and uh, tears in the process. So as we look at our Bible today in 1 Kings chapter 12, we're going to be looking at a man who was named Rehoboam. Now Rehoboam, if it's not a a name that's real familiar to you, he is actually the son of King Solomon. King Solomon, you'll remember, was the, the king over the 12 tribes of Israel. He was the wisest king who ever lived. And as we look at 1 Kings chapter 12 today, we're going to see that Solomon has died. King Solomon has, has gone home to be with the Lord, and now his son is in line to take up the throne. 1 Kings 12.1 tells us, And Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. Now, as you look at that verse, if you know much about the geography of Israel, you know there's a problem right off the bat. Because when a a presidential inauguration is held here in the United States, is it in New York? Is it in San Antonio? Where do we hold an inauguration? It's in Washington, D.C., because that's the capital of our nation. Well, the capital of Israel was Jerusalem. And so the inauguration should have been taking place in Jerusalem, but instead it's taking place far to the north in a city called Shechem. And so as we look at this passage, we find Rehoboam is traveling to the north to Shechem. And as we're told about him traveling, there is also another man that you see in verses 2 through 3 who is traveling as well. It says, now it came about when Jeroboam, that's different than Rehoboam, when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of it that he was living in Egypt, for he was yet in Egypt where he had fled from the presence of King Solomon. Now, the reason that Jeroboam is in Egypt is because when Solomon was still king, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 28 through 39, you see that a prophet comes to Jeroboam, and he says, you will become the king over the ten northern tribes of Israel. Now, if you were King Solomon, who was the current king over all 12 of the tribes, that would create a little bit of a problem, right? And we see in that passage in verse 40 of the problem that arises. It says, Solomon sought, therefore, to put Jeroboam to death. 
But Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt. And he was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So Solomon dies. Word is sent to Jeroboam in Egypt. You can come home now. It's safe. And as he comes back from Egypt, uh, then Rehoboam is told, if you want to be king over the northern tribes, you need to come up to Shechem. And so before there's the coronation, there has to be this conference. And 1 Kings 12.3 tells us, Then they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam, saying, Your father made our yoke hard. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke, which he put on us, and we will serve you. The people say there's been 40 years of taxation, of hard labor. Remember, Solomon was his great king. He was always building. He was expanding. And, and they say, look, we need a break. And so as you come in as the new king, as there's a change in the administration, we want a change in the way that you administrate. And so what we want you to do is to lighten our load. Now, as you look at the options that are facing Rehoboam, there's really no good decision here, is there? I mean, imagine you're Rehoboam for a moment. You know you're the new king. And you're coming to the throne and you have all kinds of plans and dreams and ways that you're going to expand the kingdom and how you're going to write your name in history with all that you do. And remember, your, your father has been Solomon, the greatest king in the world. This, this guy is known worldwide. And so everybody's looking to see what kind of king are you going to be? Are you going to be a guy who takes the kingdom to the next level? Or are you going to be the one who was handed this great kingdom and it begins to decline under your leadership? And so he, he's, he has these dreams of expansion and what he's being told by the people is we want to shrink your power, your influence, your kingdom. We want to lessen the government. We want to, we want to shrink the army. We don't want to have all of this taxation and burden. And, and as people are looking on, uh, he, he's faced with the decision here that will set the tone for the rest of his reign. I mean, if he acquiesces to the people, then people are going to say, well, you know, he's a weak guy. He, he's, he's not a strong king. He's not in control of the people. But if he doesn't do what the people have asked, he may not be king at all. And so as we look at the decision here, as we look at the, the tough decision he has to make, I want us to look at the process he goes through. Because I think there is something we can gain in our own lives as we look at the things that Rehoboam did well and did not do well that will help us when we face decisions in our own life. As you look at verse 5, it tells us, Then he said to them, Depart for three days and then return to me. And so the people departed. Now here, there's actually a good start to the process. Rehoboam's faced with a very difficult decision. And so what he says is, I need some time. I need to pray. I need to think it through. I need to look at the options. So give me a couple of days to think it through. And this is a, a good thing for all of us to do. You know, very rarely is there a situation you will face where you have to come up with an immediate answer. You know, there are emergencies, there are things that have to happen, but if you're ever faced in a situation where somebody's putting pressure on you to decide right now or lose it, you know, you're with that salesman, this sale's only good until you walk out the door. Walk out the door. It's just not that great a deal. You know, you can, you can take the time needed to look at the options, to explore other possibilities. Take the time to stop and pray. You should always go to God and ask him for, for wisdom and leading. Uh, we'll talk more about other steps that we can take. But here he, he takes a good first step. 
And he says, I'm, I, I need some time to think it through. As you take time to weigh your options, a, another thing that we see here is to seek the wisdom of others, which is what Rehoboam does in verse 6. It says, And King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon while he was still living, saying, How do you counsel me to answer this people? I want you to remember who Solomon was. This is the wisest man who has ever lived. What kind of brain trust do you think Solomon had brought together? I mean, wouldn't you like to have that as your board of advisors? The wisest man who ever lived said, these are the men and women that I am going to seek wisdom from. And so he has this great pool of knowledge to go to. And while we may not have a brain trust quite like this at our disposal, I want you to ask yourself this morning, who are your advisors? Who are the people that you go to? Do you have a group of counselors, a group of advisors, people that you talk to and think through and process decisions with? You know, I have the privilege of pastoring Wayside Chapel, and I don't lead this church alone. We have a board of elders, godly men who give counsel and advice. We have a great staff here, men and women who are godly men and women, experienced in ministry, people who have all kinds of perspectives that they can bring to decisions. There are times that I go outside of Wayside. I talk to mentors that I have in ministry, uh, professors from seminary, other pastors I know who have spent decades in the ministry, retired pastors and missionaries, people that I know can offer good and godly counsel. And it's great to go outside of your normal circle, your normal chain of command or organization sometimes to seek a different perspective because sometimes somebody in an outside, uh, unattached perspective can give you insight and wisdom that you don't possess because those who are right in the middle of it are emotionally tied to the decision. Those who are in the middle of it are dealing with the people and the situation. And so sometimes going outside to good uh, Counselors and consultants can help you to uh, think through options maybe nobody in your organization has has even thought through. At the very least, it gives you a a relief valve where you can vent about the person or the situation you're dealing with in a safe way so that you don't bring all of that animosity into the, the room or the decision or the situation. And so here we see Rehoboam has been given this gift of a good and godly group of counselors. And in verse 7, they offer their advice. Then they spoke to him, saying, If you will be a servant to this people today, we'll serve them, grant them their petition, and speak good words to them, then they will be your servants forever. Now, unfortunately, look at what happens in verse 8. But he forsook the counsel of the elders which they had given him. And he consulted with the young men who grew up with him and served him. I read about a situation where a school teacher had a business opportunity presented. And she took her life savings and she invested it into this, this uh, situation that was a little bit shaky. And unfortunately it turned out to be such and she ended up losing her entire investment. And she was trying to find the man in charge and the the company, and so she called the Better Business Bureau to see if they had any contact information. And the Better Business Bureau said, we wish you had called us earlier. We have a, a thick file on this person. We could have saved you your money. And the, the lady confessed to them, well, I actually thought about calling you all. I knew about you. 
And uh, the, the guy on the other end of the line said, why in the world did you not call us? And she said, well, I was afraid you'd tell me not to do it. And I really wanted to be a part of this. You ever done something like that? Have you ever had a situation where you went against the information you had or you avoided talking to someone because you knew they were going to say something that you didn't want to hear? The Bible tells us in Proverbs 19.20, listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Proverbs 11.14 says, where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in the abundance of counselors, there is victory. Now, when it says that in the abundance of counselors, there's victory, an important key to that is having the right counselors, having the right counselors, because Proverbs 13, 20 tells us, he who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. When we see Rehoboam here going and getting a second set of opinions, it's not because he says, I didn't get good counsel. What he's saying is, I didn't hear what I wanted to hear. So I'm going to go find a group of people that will tell me what I want to hear. Again, does that describe anyone here? When you go and ask advice of somebody in a situation, do you look for the person that you know is going to tell you what you want to hear? Or do you really go looking for godly counselors, people who can give you good advice, even if it's not what you want to hear, even if it means you're going to pass on an opportunity? In Psalm 1, it says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. Here we see a wise person meditates on God's word. Men and women, do you go to the Bible? Do you spend time searching the scriptures to see what God's saying about a situation that you may be facing, a decision that you need to make? As you read through the Bible, what you'll find is it addresses every area of your life. It talks about work. It talks about education, home, sex, money, and much more. The Bible is filled with pages of instruction for us. Do you realize this is the owner's manual? God created us and he gave us this as our guide for life. God's word doesn't just tell us how to have eternal life, but it tells us how to live our lives. After we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, it gives us instruction on how to walk with God, how to abide in Him, how to grow deeper in our relationship with Him, how to govern our relationships as parents to children, children to parents, workers to employers, masters to to those who we employ. This is God's guidebook for us. Now, in conjunction with God's Word, there are other ways God can lead us. There was a book written called Take Another Look at Guidance. And in it, Bob Mumford compares discovering God's will with the sea captain's docking procedure. Now, in harbors, they will have lights that line up. Typically, there are two lights that as a pilot is bringing a ship into the harbor, they need to bring these these, uh, lights into line with one another. We had a submarine captain uh, first service after I used this illustration, and he came up and talked about how that would work when they would come up on the bridge of the sub coming into the the harbor. And usually there's two lights that they have to use uh, to line up. But there's this sea 
Uh, there's this harbor in Italy that is a, a very treacherous harbor. And so they actually have three lights in there because the way that you're coming through the channel, you have to get these three lights lined up perfectly. And they have a main blinking light so you know which one to orient. It's on a tall pole. And then there are these two other lights. And if you're coming in as a captain and you see two or three of the lights, you know you're off course and you're going to hit the rocks or shoals that have sunk many ships coming into this. And so he describes this process where you have to line up all three of the lights. And when you do so, you know you're in the safe channel and you're able to bring the ship into harbor. And it's a lot like what we're talking about this morning in terms of the way that God guides us. I've mentioned the Word of God being our guidebook. And so think of the Bible as your big blinking light. Everything we do in life can be oriented off of God's Word. And so as you think of the the Bible, that's your, your number one blinking light. Now another light that God has given to help guide us is the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us as Christians, God himself lives within us. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Lord, and the Spirit of God dwells within you? As Christians, we've been sealed and indwelled by the Holy Spirit, Ephesians tells us. We're we're told in 1 John 4.4, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We have God himself resident within us as believers. And he guides us. You know that, that thing that the world calls your conscience? That's the Holy Spirit at work. And you can ignore it, or you can, you can squelch it, you can quench the Spirit. The Bible warns us, do not quench the Holy Spirit of which you've been sealed. And so, as you think in terms of who you are and the Holy Spirit leading in your life, one of the things that I, I hear on a regular basis from Christians is, well, Pastor Roger, I know what the Bible says, but the Holy Spirit's prompting me to do this. And I always immediately say to the person, your lights are not lining up. You're going to hit the rocks. Because may I remind you that the Holy Spirit is the one who superintended the writing of his word, the Bible. And God will never contradict himself. So if you ever find somebody uh, saying, the Holy Spirit told me to do this and it's contrary to the big blinking light called the Bible, tell them they're off course. You need to line those two up. Now the third light that God sometimes uses in our life is godly counsel of other men and women. I have never personally had the Holy Spirit speak to me. I've talked to believers who tell me they've heard the Holy Spirit. Uh, I would love for God to audibly tell me something. I would love for God to write on the wall when I'm facing a decision. But he's never done, uh, revealed his will that way. He has revealed it in his word. He has revealed it through promptings. And he has revealed it through godly counsel. Now again, if you ever have an advisor who is telling you something that contradicts the blinking light called the Bible, reject it. Because it means you're off course and you're headed for the rocks. So as you think in terms of, of what we're looking at here, we find Rehoboam uh, going and seeking godly counsel in verse 8. He's told to be a servant leader to the people. Now, that is right in line with what the Scripture says. You read 1 Peter, 3, 5, 1 Peter 5, 3. What it says there is godly leaders are not to lord their authority over those allotted to their charge, but instead they are to be servants, examples as they care and shepherd for the flock. And as the king, the leader over the nation, he was told, be a servant to the people so that he was receiving godly counsel that was in line with God's word. But as we see in verse 9, he ignores this. 
And he goes looking for someone to say what he wants to hear. Look at verse 9. What counsel do you give that we may answer this people who have spoken to me saying, lighten the yoke which your father put on us? I love what the Marquis de Lagrange once said. He says, when we ask for advice, we are often looking for an accomplice. When we ask for advice, we're often looking for an accomplice. Is that what you do when you seek advice? Well, we see that's what Rehoboam does. Because if you look closely at verse 6, as he talks to the elders, he says, how do you counsel me to answer? Do you see that? Now look at verse 9. What counsel do you give that we, plural, may answer? You see, Rehoboam is not following the biblical injunction here to seek godly counsel. He's already gotten that. But what he's saying is, I don't like what I heard, so I'm going to find somebody who will say what I want to hear. And and so what happens in verse 8 is he rejects the advice of the elders, and he goes to these guys he grew up with, knowing they're going to say what he wants to hear. Now, as we're talking about this, I want to make something very clear here. The problem is not that the people he went to the second time were young men. You can read a passage like this and say, well, he got bad advice because they were youngsters. That's, that's not the case. Just because somebody is young, it doesn't mean that they don't possess wisdom and, and they don't have knowledge that they can bring to bear. Sometimes young people are very wise. Think of the story of a, a teenager who was talking to an older widow. And she looked at him and she said, young man, do you want to guess how old I am? Now, that's kind of a dangerous question, isn't it? And when he hesitated, she said, oh, you must have some idea. And, and he said, I have several ideas. And he smiled. He said, I just don't know if I should make you 10 years younger based on how good you look or 10 years older based upon your intelligence. Now, that was an astute young man, right? He showed wisdom in a very difficult situation. Uh, and as you look at kids today, what you'll find is many of them are light years ahead of where some adults are. I mean, how many parents have ever handed an uh, electronic device to their kids and said, how do you do this on it? Can you set this up? How does this work? And, and you know, it's not just in terms of technology. The, the kids today are the experts on pop culture, right? I mean, as those who are older, we don't always understand everything uh, in the world around us. You all have heard that I went through 12 years of infertility with my wife before we were blessed with children. And because of that, our kids are younger than most people our age would have. So I have a son who's in junior high. I have a a daughter in high school, and I have a daughter in college. And so because of that, uh, God has given me a a resident focus group in my home (laughs) that I get to talk to in terms of how how do we uh, apply certain things at Wayside in a culturally relevant manner. And so it's, you know, they are the experts in a, in a time that you and I maybe are not as good at. And so look around and, and gain wisdom and insight from those who are not of your generation. Now, as I say that, I want to say the same thing to those who are younger. Sometimes what I hear from the younger demographic is, well, you know, older people, they're kind of out of it. Their ship has sailed. They don't understand the world and, and all these type of things. A proverb has been defined as a short sentence based on a long experience. A short sentence based on a long experience. I want to remind you that those who are older than you are, no matter what your age, have lived longer than you. And many of them have greater life experiences than you do. 
I said at the beginning of this message that the tuition is cheaper if you learn from somebody else's mistake. Don't pay all the dumb taxes yourself, friends. Some of them have made the mistakes for us, and they can tell you, don't do that. It's not going to turn out well. So listen. And as we look at the group here, Rehoboam received great advice from his older advisors. But unfortunately, he rejects their wisdom. And he turns to the younger men he grew up with. Now, let me just give you a, a, a date of the age of Rehoboam and these guys, because reading this, you might think, well, he's this 20-year-old guy who just became king. Rehoboam is 41 years old at this point. So that means the men he grew up with are in their late 30s or early 40s. These, these are adult men. These are people who have had some life experience themselves. But he rejects good counsel to hear what he wants to hear. 1 Kings twelve ten through 14 tells us, And the young men who grew up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall say to the people who spoke to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now you make it lighter for us. You shall speak to them and say, My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. What he's saying is this is the loin area. He's saying, If you think my dad was big and bad, I'm, I'm you know, that much more. They say, you shall say, my little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Whereas my father loaded you with a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. And the king answered the people harshly, for he forsook the advice of the elders which they had given him. And he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men, saying, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions." You know, it's been said that a wise man thinks about all that he says, but a fool says all that he thinks. A wise man thinks about all that he says, but a fool says all that he thinks. And that's what happens with Rehoboam. He had taken three days to, to think it through, to get counsel. And, and yet when he acts, it's the part of a fool here. He could have said, listen, I've heard you. I understand the burden is heavy. I know that you need relief. But look, we have all these capital projects that are underway. We've invested time and money and resource and labor into it. We need to finish these buildings, these, these roadways, these fortifications that are already underway. He could have said, look, we, we have a standing army that is protecting us and is, 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 is needed to be funded. And I know maybe we need to look at how do we deal with some of the expenditures that are to come, but can we take some time and, and not just cut everything off immediately? And as he had done something like that, they, the people probably would have said, let's work with it. Sure, we can hear it. But instead what he does is he pours gas on the fire. The people are saying, we're tired and we want this to stop. And he says, oh man, if you think it's been hard in the past, it's going to get harder. He thinks he can force the people into submission, scare them, show he's a strong king. And unfortunately, what happens then is the prophecy mentioned in 1 Kings 11 takes place where Jeroboam would be made king over the ten northern tribes. Look at 1 Kings twelve fifteen through 17. So the king did not listen to the people. For it was a turn of events from the Lord that he might establish his word, which the Lord spoke through uh, Agihai from uh, the, the Sh Sh Shilamite to Jer Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. 
When all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel. Now look after your own house, David. So Israel departed to their tents. But as for the sons of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. So the southern kingdom, where Judah and these other tribes were, the house of David, the Jeroboam was, Rehoboam was from. They say, you want to be king? Go be king over your families. But the rest of us were splitting. And so the 12 tribes of Israel split into the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, as we look at the words that are written here in verse 16, they, they are from uh, 2 Samuel 20, verse 1, where a man from the tribe of Benjamin spoke these same words when Benjamin tried to divide the kingdom years earlier. And in that case, King David was able to come in and he was able to repair the rift and bring about uh, a reunion of the, the tribes. And so Rehoboam thinks he can do the same thing because as you look at verse 18, he sends an envoy to the northern tribes. It says, Then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death. And King Rehoboam made haste to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. Now, if you're talking about getting bad advice, I don't know who advised Rehoboam to send this guy. I mean, if you've already got the people upset at you and they've already split and you're trying to bring about peace to the situation, wouldn't you find the most diplomatic, uh, skilled person you could to come in and say, okay, let's sit down, let's, let's mediate, let's find a way to solve this. Instead, what Rehoboam does is he sends the very guy that everyone hates. This is the guy who's been the tax collector and the guy who's been over the slave labor. Not the guy you want coming in to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to try to fix the situation. And as this taskmaster and tax collector shows up, the only thing he collects this time is a bunch of rocks because the people stone him to death. Now remember, Rehoboam is to the north in Shechem. He's deep in the new kingdom of Israel that is splitting away. So he knows, I need to get back to where it's safe. So he gets in his chariot, and he heads back down to Jerusalem. And so as we're reading what happens, verse 20 tells us the northern kingdom of Israel now needs a new king. And so what had started out as Rehoboam's coronation turns into the coronation for Jeroboam. Now, meanwhile, back at the ranch, right, Rehoboam reaches home. He gets among friends. He's got his army around him, and he decides, I'm going to go fight a civil war. And I'm going to go force these northern tribes to come back into the kingdom, which is what we find in 1 Kings 12, 21 through 24. When Rehoboam had come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shania, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You must not go up and fight against your relatives. The sons of Israel, return every man to his house, for this thing has come from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord, and they returned and went their way according to the word of the Lord. 
Theodore Levitt of the Harvard Business School says that experience comes from what we have done. Wisdom comes from what we have done badly. And thankfully here, we see that Rehoboam has learned a bit of wisdom to listen. To listen to God and his word. You know, if only he had been willing to listen earlier. What could have been different? If only he had said, I've received good and godly counsel. I may not like it, but I need, to, I need to weigh it. I need to find a way to implement it. We could have been reading in history, possibly, that he was this great king. But instead, what history says about him is he's the king who split the nation of Israel. As you're listening to this message today, as we come to a close this morning, I want you to think about if you can relate to Rehoboam. I asked earlier if anybody here has made some uh, bad mistakes, if you've learned the hard way. And if as you're listening to Rehoboam and the mistakes he's made, the key is to learn from them as he did, to not keep repeating them in the future. And as you're faced with decisions in the days to come, I want to remind you of three things to do. Remember first to go to God's word. Read the Bible, search the scriptures, see if there is guidance that God has. He has revealed very specific things over and over in his word. And if you cannot find a a specific thing to your situation, you can always find a general principle that applies. So go to God's word. Second, go to God in prayer. Ask him for wisdom. The Bible says if you lack wisdom, to ask, and he'll give it in abundance to you. So talk to God. Go to him in prayer. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. And lastly, go to godly counselors. Seek those who will tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear. These are the things that God has given us to help us learn how to make good decisions in our life. Will you join me, please, as we close in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. Your word that highlights mistakes that men and women have made throughout history. Lord, you haven't left us to learn by doing rock, paper, scissors. You've given us guidance in the things that we face and the decisions. We thank you, Lord God, for the gift of not only your written word, but of your presence within us. You, Holy Spirit, who dwell within us as believers in Jesus Christ. And so I pray, Father, that in those times where we face decisions, that we would turn to you, that we would listen, we would seek you. Father, it's possible there may be somebody here this morning who's not yet come to know your son Jesus as their Savior. And and I pray, Lord, that they would come humbly to you today, admitting their need confessing that they have made mistakes in their life. And because of that, you tell us that we owe a penalty of death. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. We know that you desire all to come to know you because you tell us that you desire that none should perish, but for all to come to know your son. And so I pray this morning might be the time where some would come to know you if they have not yet taken that step. As those who have taken a step of faith, Father, for most of us here, we, we need to continue to walk with you. You tell us in your word, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Sometimes, Father, the only 
uh, illumination you give us is for the very next step, not the next mile down the road. And so would we be patient? Would we wait on you? Would we walk hand in hand in faith with you? Father, as we talk about wisdom and leaders, we ask this morning for wisdom for our leaders, for the president, for the Senate, for the Congress, for our state and local leaders, our military commanders. Father, we live in a world that is on the brink of of war on a constant basis. And this weekend, where we remember the sacrifices of the soldiers of the past who have given their lives to preserve peace and freedom, we ask, Father, that you would give our leaders wisdom to know how to avert war, to only step into those times when it is absolutely necessary. We pray not only for the leaders of the U.S., but around the world, Father, that other leaders would exercise wisdom as well. And so, Father, would you lead and guide us as individual believers and our world leaders. Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son and the message of peace that we have as believers to go and share the good news of the gospel. So would we do that as we leave here today? We pray these things in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.